Old powers waken, shadows stir, an age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us, an age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Nights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. Welcome back to another episode of Obsidian Nights. In today's episode of Obsidian Nights, we are doing Eddard 6, and I am joined by Chris. And Chris, would you like to tell everyone who you are and where they can find you? Hello, my name is Chris, and I have uh, my own YouTube channel here. Um, the name of the YouTube channel is Chris and Vijaya. I'm from Indonesia, so uh, most of the videos in my channel are in my mother language in Indonesia. But uh, I also have a few videos in English. I I, I have uh, two videos about Game of Thrones, and the others are booktube videos because I love books so much, and I love the story of A Song of Ice and Fire. I fell in love this, with the story, though I I watched the show first, but uh the books uh helped me to find some peace of mind after finishing uh the tv series especially season eight yes especially <laughs> season eight was uh it was uh, just a mess and that's what really made me want to do obsidian nights was because so many people they watch the show but they don't read the books and it's fine if you don't yes. read the books. Like, I recommend that you do read the books, but I know, like, they're not finished yet. And there's already, yes. like, six of them and or five mm-hmm. of them. And there's a lot of, like, companion books. And it's a lot to read, but it's so good. Yes. Uh, to be honest, um, I, I first heard about the Game of Thrones TV show in 2012. But um, I only started watching the show last year. Uh, because uh, I heard all the rage, all the, the anger about season eight, and that was what made me curious about <laughs> what kind of show is this that it can stir a lot of anger that the fans, uh, I think they asked HBO to do a remake of season eight, if I'm not mistaken. So that's what gets me interested to watch it in the first place. And last year I was, I was pregnant and I, I watched the show uh, when um, short af- shortly after I gave birth, and as I am an exclusive pumper and I pump every three hours, the show was uh, was my pumping best friend. <laughs> I wake up at twelve a.m., three a.m., six a.m., and the show was always there to accompany me, and I got quite attached to it. And then season five, six was quite fine. Season seven, I thought, what? What, what they are doing here and in season 8 I, uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. I agree I'm sorry that's funny when you said what are they doing here because I like uh, Quinn's ideas he had been dragging the show for so long and I was like oh my god you're so hard on the show and he's like no it's bad it's bad it sucks yes. and he had been saying that and then in season 7 like I knew it was 
it was bad. Like it was stupid. Like the whole mm. white hunt thing, like that didn't make yes. any sense. Like, well, we're going to go catch a white across the yes. wall and bring it. So Cersei can help us, but <laughs> we really need Cersei. So like it was, it, it just didn't make sense. And I was like, like letting things slide in that season because I'm like, okay, they're going to bring it back together in season eight. Season eight is going to make all of this make sense. And then it didn't. And then they didn't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so we're we're gonna move from season eight to Eddard six because okay. <laughs> we're in King's Landing and there's a lot of juice to be had. We get to um, talk about some Valyrian steel today and Tobo Mott and Gendry. Uh, there's there's a lot to talk about. So um, the opening scene is. Ned Stark's point of view and it's Ned and he's with the small council and they're dealing with like some problems that are arising because of the hands tourney. So the hands tourney is the tournament that Robert is having in honor of Ned being named hand. And all of these people are coming to King's Landing. So Janice Slint comes in and he's complaining about all of the stuff that's going down in the city. And to be honest, like, I'm just going to read this quote because King's Landing was ratchet as hell during this time period. Call it what you will, my lord. Knights have been arriving from all over the realm. And for every night we get two free riders, three craftsmen, six men at arms, a dozen merchants, two dozen whores, and more thieves than I dare guess. This cursed heat had half the city in a fever to start. And now with all these visitors, last night we had a drowning, a tavern riot, three knife fights, a rape, two fires, robberies beyond count, and a drunken horse race down the street of the sisters. The night before, a woman's head was found in the great sept, floating in the rainbow pool. No one seems to know how it got there or who it belongs to. <laughs> so, like, that's what King's Landing is looking like right now. And I think King's Landing is never a quite safe place to live, right? No. Uh, I yeah, I totally every, agree. Every time there's always uh, lots of crimes in the next books, uh, King's Landing's condition keeps on getting worse. The yes. war made it really worse. Uh, no, that's all I want to say. Yeah, King's Landing is like, if you were to say Westeros is like America, King's Landing would be like a major city. So like Chicago, Baltimore, New York, like that's how King's Landing is. So I don't know. It's a lot of crime going on. And it's Janice Slint's job as Lord Commander of the Gold Cloaks to, you know, keep the peace keep in the, the city. Peace. Yes. Mm. And um, Renly, like first Varys is like, you know, that's, that's dreadful. But <laughs> Renly is like, you know, Renly doesn't feel sorry for Janice Lent. He's like, if you can't keep the King's peace, Janice, perhaps the city watch should be commanded by someone who can. Yes. And mm. I never liked Janice Lent. <laughs> me, me, uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> He's an asshole. He's an asshole. Yes. So Ned Stark tells them to hire more men, 50 more men, and then he gives them 20 swords from his own household. I think it's a mistake that Ned gave up so many... Ned gave up a lot of power when it Mm -hmm. comes to um, 
his guards. So what we see with other hands, when they come to King's Landing, they set up pieces around them, um, whether it be their household guards or whether they control the gold cloaks. Whoever controls the gold cloaks basically controls the city. So what Ned should have done was put one of his own men in charge of the gold cloaks or someone that he knew or that he was familiar with or that he would form a relationship with. Janice Slint's clearly bought and paid for by the Lannisters, like already. He's, he's yes. bought. I think what uh, Ned did what he did because he felt kind of safe because his best friend is the king. Mm-hmm. Oh, indeed, and he felt safe. Yes, and uh, right now I'm I'm uh, one of my current reads is the second book. What Tyrion did as soon as uh, he arrived in King's Landing, he he took control of the watch, and he yeah. and that what that, yeah, just like you said that that is what Ned should have done in the first place. Yes, I mean you just because you're hand of the king and you are the second most powerful man in the kingdom like Varys has a good a good rhyme like power resides where men believe it resides if you don't have the numbers you don't have the power and Ned didn't do enough to stack the numbers in his favor he was actually instead of bringing people around him he was sending his people away poor Ned he loathes the idea of this tournament he wants it like done like the sooner it's done the better for him so they're trying to tell Ned, like the council members around him are trying to tell him, you know, like, I know, like, you don't want this tourney, but this tourney is good for this city. Like the taverns are full, you know, people are getting money put in their pockets. Like it's a little respite from their everyday life. And I think this is one of our first mentions of Stannis. It might not be the first mention of Stannis, but we get like a little bit of Stannis's character. Um, like Renly says about Stannis wanting to outlaw brothels. Um, <laughs> when Stannis told Robert about outlawing brothels, Robert is like, oh, maybe yeah. we should outlaw eating and shitting and breathing. Stannis, from this, I'm reading, I'm, I'm reading the book right now. And I think just from this, uh, just from uh, what Randy said about Stannis here, we can see that how no wonder Stannis uh, is so unpopular in King's Landing, and no wonder uh, Randy uh, is more beloved by the people, and Stannis not. Yes. Yes. Um, Renly and Stannis are like Renly is is so full of pageantry and flattery, and he's handsome and he's funny. And he's younger and he's just like kind of a joy to be around. And Stannis is like this hard, mean man that just wants to do his duty. Like they said, he goes to his marriage bed like a man marching to a battlefield. Like (laughs) that's not a guy I want in my bed. Not even. Um, But Ned also wonders, you know, like when is Stannis like when is he going to come from Dragonstone and take his seat on the council because Stannis has up and left and uh, the rest of the council didn't miss him at all no they don't miss Stannis and I think it's kind of sad 
and it's one of the things that I hold against Stannis is that he Stannis knew that his brother was in danger and he just left. He knew. I think in the first season of the show, they didn't they didn't uh, they didn't really explain why Stannis Stannis left, right? So I first learned about Stannis uh, more detail in more detail in the books. And do you think Stannis left because uh, he was afraid that the Queen or the Lannisters uh, would kill him after knowing what he knew about? John Arryn about about uh, Joffrey's two parentage. Yeah, it could have been that, but even if it's that, why not tell? Why didn't he tell Robert? Like send a raven. I don't Maybe know. It's because I wonder uh, if it had something mm-hmm. to do with Melisandre. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder. Like, it's so odd, but I know. I I also wonder. Like, is he mad that he that Robert didn't name him Hand? And named Ned oh, Stark yes, Hand. Yes. They don't. They don't have Robert and Stannis, and Stannis doesn't have a good relationship with Robert or with Renly. Yes. So, um, one thing I noticed in this chapter is that um, Ned, he when he's like going back to his um room or whatever or when he's leaving the council like he's missing Catelyn like he wants Catelyn to have her arms around him and he's also missing Rob and John he's missing Rob and John fighting in the practice yard like that's something that he misses and he misses the cold days and cold nights of the north like Ned Stark is so out of place in King's Landing like it's not his place he knew it before he went there and his back is just against the wall and this is the first time that he actually looks at this book um the lineages and history of the great houses of the seven kingdoms with descriptions of many high lords and noble ladies and their children by Grand Maester Mullion. Um, so he's reading this book to try to figure out, you know, like what what John Aaron was doing with it. And he he can't get anything out of the book right now. There's there's nothing there's nothing of a note right now. Yes. But we also in this chapter get introduced to Land the Clever. In the legend of Land the Clever. So Land the Clever is this um, legendary character from the Age of Heroes, like Bran the Builder. And Lan was um, the, I guess, the first Lannister ever. So Tyrion has a lot in common with Land the Clever when you actually look at like who Tyrion parallels from history. Um, but Land the Clever actually stole Cashley Rock from the Casterlies with just his wits. So the legend is like, there's a couple different legends. Like one is that he like covered himself in butter and squeezed in through a cleft in the rock and just, just basically stole it. <laughs> oh yeah. And uh, while we're at it, I also uh, did my research on Landa, Landa Clever. And yes, uh, just like you said, the most popular version of, uh, Land the Clever stories. He he uh, he bothered himself and then slipped to the castle rock and then I, I think he turned the people and the castle against each other. So in the end, he won the castle uh, just with his wits. And I think uh, there are some rumors that Tyrion is actually not Lannister, 
but uh, I don't believe it. I think he, he is a true Lannister because of I his I do too. <laughs> I do too. I I think Lan the Clever is total Tyrion foil. Like totally. Like I feel like that is the imprint for Tyrion is Lan mm-hmm. the Clever. But I also like when we think about Tyrion personally like i get that there's tons of Tyrion targaryen evidence like i feel mm-hmm. like it's george has at least thought about Tyr- making Tyrion a targaryen george has planted those seeds for Tyrion to be a targaryen but there's also a lot narratively that makes me think that he's a lannister because that that dynamic between Tyrion and tywin would not be as meaningful and as good as it is if Tyrion wasn't Tywin's son. Yes. So basically Ned gets some information about John Aaron's last days, um, about Stannis uh, visiting a brothel. It's odd to Ned that John Aaron and Stannis were working on whatever together. Ned doesn't know why Stannis and John Aaron were working together. Like what, what, like, John and and Stannis had never been like friends. They were cordial to each other, but they weren't friends. And Ned finds it odd, you know, that while Robert's, you know, coming to Winterfell, Stannis just dips and goes to Dragonstone. But we find out that they together, Stannis and John Aaron, visited a brothel. And Ned is like, Stannis, Baratheon, and a brothel, like this doesn't even make sense. And one of the more interesting parts of the chapter that I liked was Renly was plotting to hook Robert oh, yeah, yeah. up with Marjorie. Uh, but it's not clear in the first book, right? We knew about this plan uh, clearly in the next book. Right. Uh, yes. So he shows Ned like this um, gold locket and it has a, a mirror style painting in it. And it's a girl with brown hair. And um, Renly wanted Ned to know, you know, like, what, who, who does this remind you of? So Renly's like, you know, wanting to know if she looks like Liana. And Ned's yeah. like, no. <laughs> and Ned thought that uh, Renly was going to court uh, Marguerite, right? Yes. And and Ned finds it odd. Like, Ned finds the whole thing odd. So, Jory helps Ned get dressed and everything. And Ned goes to the Street of Steel. So, the Street of Steel is like the armory street. The streets have these names. So, Street of Silk is like where the clothes and stuff and all of the Damascus and all that stuff can be bought. So, Ned goes to the Street of Steel. And he's on his way there. Um, the Mudgate comes open. And Lord Barrack is there. So there's, make way for Lord Barrack, the rider shouted. Make way for Lord Barrack. And close behind came the young lord himself, a dashing figure on a black courser with red gold hair and a black satin cloak dusted with stars. Here to fight in the hands turning, my lord, a guard's man called out to him. Here to win the hands turning, Lord Barrack shouted back as the crowd cheered. So Barrack actually becomes a way bigger character like that's just our first time seeing him 
through Ned's eyes, but Barrack is be- going to become a way bigger character. As the story progresses, we learn that Barrack is actually the foreshadowing for Jon Snow. We learn that from the author himself. Um, he did an interview and said that Lady Stoneheart and Barrack Dondarrion were foreshadowings for Jon Snow, which I find interesting. Yes. I think in the show, I only remember Barrack as uh, uh, an angry man with a fiery sword. And we didn't get to know him better in the show. Yeah, the show really kept Barrack around a long time, but really didn't do much with him. He was just, you know, kind of there. So they go to the armorer shop, and this is where we meet Tobo Mott and Gendry. So John Aaron and Stannis or John Aaron went there and saw Gendry, I'm guessing. So Tobo Mott, to me, is an interesting character, and Gendry is a very interesting character to me. And I think Gendry is a very important character. So Tobo Mott is actually um, the guy that melts down ice and forges Widow's Whale and Oathkeeper. But that's, you know, that's a, a while down the road. But Tobomot is one of the last people in the world that knows how to rework Valyrian steel. So in order to rework Valyrian steel, you have to know the spells that were cast when making it. You have to know them. And he knows them. So he is a um, blacksmith from Norvos. And Norvos is actually in Essos. And Norvos is like on a tributary that's on the Rhoyne. Um, I think it's called uh, uh, the Dark Wash. I think it's called the Dark Wash. But um, so whatever Valyrian, he knows some of the old Valyrian magic and he knows the spells to be able to rework the Valyrian steel. And a lot of people in the fandom, you know, question, is that something that he taught Gendry? Because Gendry is Tobomot's apprentice. And he, he is quite talented in his job. Very talented. And Tobo, so Tobomot, like, he does armor for a lot of the great lords of Westeros. So he did Loras Tyrell's armor. He did Renly's green armor. Um, he wants to make Ned, you know, a helm and direwolf stuff but ned's like you know i don't need all that shit that will scare the children (laughs) yes yes so basically ned is like you know well like what did john aaron want with you with you like why did he visit here and then that's when we meet gendry and gendry is described as Thick hair, shaggy and unkept, and black as ink. The shadows of a new beard darkened his jaw. This is Gendry, strong for his age, and he works hard. Show the hand the helmet you made, lad. So Gendry shows Ned the helm that he made, the bull's head helm. And, um, you know, Ned wants to buy it. And Renly's, I mean, and Gendry's like, it's not for sale. And Tobo is like, boy, this is the king's hand. If he wants this helm, make him a gift of it. He honors you by asking. And Gendry's like, no, I made it for me. (laughs) And uh, so 
to me, Gendry is interesting. And I know there was tons of theories that Gendry was actually the secret son of Cersei. And like, it's not really possible when it comes to the books because... Secret son of Cersei. I, this is the first time I've ever heard of that theory. So in the, in the show, Cersei tells Catelyn in the beginning when, when Bran is laying in bed and Cersei comes in to talk to Catelyn. She says, I had a black-haired boy one time, but it died. Oh. And people were thinking that she gave it to somebody to get rid of, or she tried to get rid of it, but she couldn't kill the child. And that's how the child ended up where he ended it- up. But that conversation never happens in the books. In the books, she does say that she got pregnant by Robert, I think, and Jamie got rid of it, or they got rid of it. Like, she drank moon tea or something like that. Like, she didn't actually have the child. Uh, I don't think there's any evidence for that in the book. But I do think it would be interesting, like, when we think about Gendry, like, I really, like, if Daenerys wasn't going to be the queen, I really wanted it to be Gendry. Because I feel like he would make the perfect king. Why? Why Gendry? Because he's lived among the small folk and he's oh. he's not seeking power. And I feel like the people that seek power are the ones that should never be able to obtain it. Agree. <laughs> they're agree. usually unfit. And there's, a, there's a line. I don't know if you watch the show Vikings, but there's a line um, in that show and it's by Ragnar Lothbrook. And he's like, Power attracts the worst and corrupts the best. Mm. And I feel like most of the people that we know that are trying to attain power are pretty bad people, especially right now in the books. Tywin Lannister's bad. Cersei's bad. Who's trying to attain power right now? Basically the Lannisters. (laughs) Yes. And and I think in a perfect world, uh, I think... Eddard Stark should be the king in the perfect world, but this is Game of Thrones, and uh, you need to, yeah, you need to play it. You either win or you die, just like Cersei said. And poor Ned, he, he, he just didn't know the rules. He just, he, he was just a poor player. But in a perfect world, in a perfect uh, ideal uh, world, Eddard should be the king. I think because he. The, Nor- the the northerners love him and i think he he would be a wise king right i think he would but he would need a strong hand i think that one of his mistakes was not taking catlin with him i know like i don't really like catlin everybody knows yes. that i guess it's a thing <laughs> but she i think politically she could have helped him yes yes she could have helped him politically because she, in some cases, was a lot more cautious than him, even though sometimes she acted out of like a mother's blind love. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times she acted, you know, more thoughtfully and carefully than he did. Yes. Um. So basically, Ned is like, you know, well, how did this boy get here? And then he, we get the story that. Tobo Mott took him on without a fee, which is a lie. Someone paid for Gendry to be there. I personally feel like it was Varys. 
Yes, yeah. I I also because uh, Tobomot described the hood shadow of his face. So uh, this mysterious man who sent Genry to be Tobomot's apprentice was obviously in disguise. And uh, I think the only character that can disguise himself so perfectly is Varys. Exactly, and I agree a hundred percent. So. Basically, that's the chapter. That's the chapter. They leave. Ned is like, you know, if he ever decides he would rather have a sword in his hand than a hammer, then, you know, tell him to get in contact with me. And if I ever want uh, (laughs) direwolf armor to scare children in the streets, then I'll know where to come. Mm -hmm. And um, that chapter ends with this quote. What had John Aaron wanted with a king's bastard, and why was it worth his life? And basically what John Aaron was trying to do was figure out, you know, what Robert's children would look like. And Gendry is what Robert's child would look like. Black hair, blue eyes. Black hair and blue eyes. He's strong. Exactly. And a hand with hands made for a hammer. Mm-hmm. And who wields a hammer? Robert, a Warhammer. So that is Eddard Six. Do you have anything that you wanted to add? Um, I uh, in the in the middle of this chapter, uh, there's uh, Nat was recapping uh, what uh, the information he gathered from from the Watchman, the servant girl. And oh, eh. oh uh, uh, I, I'll just read the book. This, the serving girl had at least been pleasant. She said Lord John had been reading more that was good for him. This is, uh, I think, uh, the serving girl was describing uh, how John read 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 the the great uh, the book of lineage, and then he was troubled and melancholy over his young son's frailty and gruff with his lady wife. And I, at this point, I thought about Lysa Erin, and I think she, she, in this point, uh, we have no idea that actually the one who poisoned John Erin is his lady wife. Exactly. No one suspected it. No and, one. But they did suspect a woman at first. Oh, like, yeah. And when he was talking to Pycelle, they said poison is a woman's, a woman's weapon, but they're thinking Cersei. They're, oh, not, yeah, yeah. they're not thinking Lysa would kill her own husband. Mm-mm. But what makes it worse is that Lysa did kill her own husband at the behest of Littlefinger. Yes. And I think Lysa was so, so, <laughs> she was such a fool for falling for Littlefinger. Oh, yeah. Poor Lysa. But good mm-hmm. riddance. I can't stand the Tullys. <laughs> Unless it's the Blackfish. I like the Blackfish. <laughs> But that's Eddard Six. Thank you for coming. Make sure you guys check out her channel. I will link everything below. And you guys, I will see you next week.